Thank you so much. It's such a blessing and a privilege for me to be here and to talk to you, especially on this weekend where God's clearly been doing so much stuff throughout the course of the weekend, uh, through the ladies' conference, and I just really stand in a sense of amazement at all the people that have sown into that and stood in faith and prayed for it and trusted God for it and served, and, and I just feel like I'm here just riding a wave of what God's doing, and I'm so grateful for that. In the first service, I got so like sort of overwhelmed emotionally. I struggled to speak in the beginning, and I just started like stumbling over my words. And so I've said that my goal is that today I'm going to cry more than any other speakers over the whole weekend because I want to be the guy who cried more than any of the lady speakers on the women's conference weekend. So you can take that and put it in your stereotype pipe and smoke it. Um, but it's such a privilege to be here and to speak into relationships. Um, an interesting thing happened in. In my relationship with my wife, um, when we first started dating, we had literally in the first couple of weeks of dating, and her dad got in touch with me and said, hey, I've just done this course about StrengthsFinder. For those of you who don't know what StrengthsFinder is, it's like a personality profile type thing where you find out what your strengths are and how you use that. And so he said, I've just done this course in StrengthsFinder on how to coach people in strength. So why don't you do the StrengthsFinder test? And then while you're at it, also do the Myers-Briggs personality type test, and then we can sit together and discuss that. <laughs> and I'll be honest, it was a little bit intimidating, uh, sitting with my brand new girlfriend's dad and talking to him about all my internal workings and how I work as a person. And so it led to these interesting conversations where he'd be like, so it, see that it says here you're a relator. How do you see that playing out? And like in a strictly Christian way. I mean, if I relate to a person, it's very, very Christian. I, I like to be led by the Holy Spirit as I relate. I like to do it in accountable relationships while I relate. I like to relate under the authority of the Word of God. In fact, I don't even know what I'm doing with my hands right now because I talk with my hands, but when I relate, hands are in the pockets. Let me tell you, when I come to church, I give side hugs, all right? I don't do any of the boob. I mean, I have the front hugs. I don't do those things. Uh, and uh, it was a fun conversation. Unfortunately, it all worked out pretty well um, because I married her by God's grace, really by God's grace. And uh, Sandra's dad's one of my best friends today, so it all worked out well. But what it did do is it introduced me to some of these tools that are available to us nowadays. I don't know if any of you are aware of them, like the Myers-Briggs, the StrengthsFinder, the Love Languages, all these types of things where we learn more about ourselves. And it's really useful. It's really helpful to understand myself and know how I work. And so I know what I'm bringing into the relationship with my wife or bringing into the relationship with my colleagues. I know how I work and then I know how she works. And it's been a really useful tool for us in our conversations to know about one another. Um, but what it did eventually happen is I just got more and more of these tools that started getting added to our lives. And so we got the StrengthsFinder and the Myers-Briggs and the Love Languages. And pretty soon I was doing a test to find out what Hogsward house I was going to be in. And then I did another test online to find out what model superhero I can most accurately relate to. And what's possible is that pretty soon I'm coming to every relationship and my starting off point is this is what I am. I am an introvert. I am a relator. I am a competition strength. I am a ENTJ. I am a physical touch love language. I am this. And so I bring all of this I am stuff to my relationship. And so the starting off point for my relationships can become this is what I am. And the problem with that is that quite soon, self-awareness can become self-diagnosis. And self-diagnosis becomes identity, and then identity becomes our destiny. And so it's very possible for me to start off my relationship with a sense of what's possible in this relationship, because I have my starting off point is this is what I am. And so I start to form, take these very, very useful 
self-awareness tools and they start to become limiting beliefs about what's possible in relationships because I think I can only have these kinds of relationships. That kind of relationship is not available to the kind of person that I am. And so I am can become destiny in how we approach our relationships. The other problem with this, I keep picking up this bottle, I need to eventually sip some water. The other problem is that when I start my relationships with the perspective of this is what I am, quite quickly I am can become this is what I need you to be. Because this is, this is who I am, there's nothing I can do about it, this is the way God's made me, and so based on this is who I am, this is who I need you to be. And so I am becomes a list of demands that we put into the relationships with the people around us. And we spend our lives trying to find, find relationships and form relationships with people that meet our needs. And so we go around looking for the person who perfectly matches what I am, and so we look around for this person who's going to be like my missing puzzle piece, and your missing puzzle piece is going to be my missing puzzle piece, and we'll fit perfectly together because your weird is my weird, and we're the same kind of weird, and it's all very schmoozy. <laughs> and the problem is there is no person on earth who can meet the need of what I am. And I go into all of these relationships with this false expectation that I need you to meet what I am. And it's an unrealistic expectation that we start our relationships with. And so instead, I want to look at how Jesus does relationships. Um, the amazingly, Ross spoke about the lady, the woman at the well in worship. Ross didn't know what I was going to preach on today. Um, and in the first service, he got up and he started speaking about the woman in the well. And I was like, this is amazing. He didn't know what I was going to preach on. Yet God's doing this thing. There's a wonderful sense of that God is confirming something in our presence by the same message that he's brought out. But there is this, this little part of me that goes, hey, why are you preaching my sermon, bro? <laughs> like there's the, there's the healthy, mature, spiritually mature person that goes, this is amazing. Look at what God's doing. But there's this like competitive, immature man somewhere inside of me that goes, hey, back up. <laughs> well, what do you think you're doing here? Um, but it's a blessing to know that God's working, and it was really a blessing and a confirmation. So we're going to look at John chapter 4, starting at verse 5. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Amazing. There's, there's, uh, I'm, we're just going to work through the scripture, and there's just so much depth and so much beauty and so much message in every single verse of scripture. And so we're just going to look at what God's saying. And right off the bat, the amazing thing is Jesus, he's a Jewish man, he's passing through Samaria, and he starts a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Now, in terms of the cultural norms and the taboos of that day, that was not something you were supposed to do as a Jewish man. The Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. They kind of thought they were each other was like kind of an you're an imposter, and you think you're better than us, and there was this competition going between them, and then the fact, and that's how men and women should be careful how they relate to each other in public, and Jesus goes right through, cuts through all of that, and the first thing that he does is he takes a risk as he reaches out in a relationship with this person. How many of you know that if we want to build meaningful relationships in our lives, we have to be willing to take some risks? Yeah. The incredible thing, uh, this blows me away, I've been married for seven years, and I mean, I know compared to many of you, that's a very short amount of time, but I never would have imagined when I started out my marriage that seven years later, I would still get butterflies in my stomach when I started certain conversations with my wife. But there's a risk, there's a sense of, 
venturing out. There's a sense of vulnerability. You gotta, if you want to build connections with people, you've got to be willing to take risks. And Jesus is unconcerned about the stereotypes. He's unconcerned about the taboos of the day. He goes right into taking a risk because he wants to build a connection with this woman. And it's absolutely incredible. Jesus starts his relationship with this woman by saying, can you give me a drink of water? And that Jesus, the Son of God, who made everything, who holds it all together, who will last, outlast everything, it's all about him, it's all for him, it's all for his glory, the Son of God starts his connection with this lady by asking her to meet his need. How extraordinary that Jesus, who was able to meet every single one of her needs, starts off by asking her to meet his need. Because Jesus isn't concerned about the social hierarchy of the day, saying, hey, I come into the situation above you, and I'm con- I know that I should be meeting your needs. He's not worried about the social hierarchy. He's not worried about the pecking order. He's not worried about how you put people into different kinds of boxes. He just wants a connection. And so Jesus is more interested in connection than in social hierarchy. And so he starts off by saying, hey, can you help me by meeting this need for me? Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Notice right off the bat, this lady's starting off point as Jesus tries to build a connection and starts a relationship with her is, hey, you are, but I am. Her starting off point in this connection, in this relationship is, this is who you are, but this is who I am. And we can't be having this relationship. We can't be having this conversation based on who I think you are and who I am. How many of us are missing out on a work that God wants to do in our lives because our starting off point in a relationship is you are but I am. And there's so many you are but I am's available to us nowadays. I can bring a you are, but I am into every single one of my relationships. Hey, you are old, but I am young. Hey, you're a millennial, but I am a generation Y. You are from this economic background, but I am from this economic background. You are from this racial group, but I am from this racial group. You are a surfer, but I am a crossfitter. How can we have this connection? We start off by saying, I'm going to identify you as something. I'm going to identify me as something. And we miss out on the connection that God has available to us because we start off with, you are, but I am. And the thing is that nowadays, God wants to do a work in us through the people in our lives that are different to us. That's the blessing of the church of Jesus Christ, is God brings all of us together under one roof, under one banner, under one Lord and one Savior. And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what I am, because what I am needs who you are. And there's people nowadays who are trying to highlight and accentuate the differences between us, but God wants to do something through the differences between us, because what I need is what you are. I don't need more of me. In fact, I've got about all the me that I can take. I don't need more white, middle-class yuppie in my life. I need some people who are different. I need the older people who've gone ahead of me, who can guide me. I need the surfers among us who can teach me to sit back and wait for the set to come rather than trying to force everything. I need people from different racial groups to help me with my time management because my time management just makes me uptight and some of you seem really relaxed about time. (laughs) And I need what you've got. We need each other and we have this beautiful thing called the Church of Jesus Christ where we come under one banner and what you are becomes a blessing to what I am and we've got to get over the you are but I am. And Jesus had something in store for this lady, but right off the bat, she couldn't receive it because she had this, you are, but I am. But Jesus isn't deterred. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God 
And who it is that asks you for a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is saying, I'm not who you think you are. And you might be tempted to put a box or a label or a heading over my life, but I'm not who you think you are. Because Jesus started this conversation saying to her, can you give me a drink of water? And then he says to her, but I can give you living water. This is incredible. Jesus starts the conversation asking her to meet a physical need, all the while his agenda was to meet her spiritual need. And so often, God wants to do something deeply spiritual in us, but we miss out on it because we don't understand the small physical thing he's asking us to do. And so often, God's got a spiritual thing he wants to do in us, but it comes in the image of saying, hey, can you meet this physical thing that, that I need you to do? Can you sign up for this ministry? Can you get involved with volunteering here? Can you sign up with We Are Durban? Can you give a lift to that person who doesn't have a car? Can you make a meal for that family who's going through a hard time? There's a physical thing that God might be asking you to do, and you think it's just a physical thing, but God's actually trying to do a spiritual thing in you. That's how God works in our lives sometimes. Verse 11 said, Sir, the woman, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? What's going on here is what happens in a lot of our lives when God starts to speak to us. She's missing the point. And that's okay. Jesus isn't deterred by the fact that she's missing the point. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Right in that moment, Jesus has the woman exactly where he wants her. Because now he's got her interested enough in what he can offer that she goes, Hey, I want what you've got. And the fascinating thing is what she thinks she's asking for is still different to what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to do a spiritual thing where he meets a spiritual need in her through the Holy Spirit and it would well up to eternal life and she would be eternally satisfied in God for the rest of her life. And what she's still hearing is, if you drink the water that Jesus has got, you won't have to be thirsty anymore so you don't have to go to the well every day and you don't have to worry about hydration and dehydration and rehydration and kidney stones and all that type of stuff because he's met all of your need. And so she still thinks he's talking about physical water, but Jesus is not deterred. Because you see, when Jesus comes to us, when we come to Jesus rather, and we're starting off from the place of, I need you to meet this physical need, Jesus doesn't mind. All the while, his desire is to meet your spiritual need. But it doesn't matter what terms and conditions you come to Jesus with. If you're coming to Jesus going, Jesus, I need you to meet this need, he's on board. He's okay with it because he wants to meet your needs so that he can ultimately meet your spiritual need. And recently I've been through a time where I've had a bit of difficulty in my business and I've had reason to fear about financials and my family's future and all this stuff. And what that's done is it's pushed me into the presence of God as I've called out to God for his provision and his favor for my family. And God in that moment doesn't go, hey, listen, you're coming to me on the wrong terms, man. What, like, what's up with this? Why are you just coming when you need something from me? He goes, I don't mind why you come. I'm just happy that you came because when we step into the presence of God, it doesn't matter what the agenda is. He wants to meet our need so that ultimately he can introduce himself to us. Us. And we can see him for who you are. And I don't, I don't know what your story is, why you might be here today. You might be here because you need 
God's help in your marriage, or you need some help in your career, and you don't know what's going to happen with your job, or you don't know what's going to happen with your teenage kids, and you're scared about that. It doesn't matter why you came to Jesus. Jesus is ready to meet with you. Because Jesus wants to meet your need so that ultimately he can introduce himself to you. And Jesus just turns up the heat in the conversation. In verse 16 he says, He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man that you have is not, now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. It's extraordinary. Jesus started a conversation about water with a woman who was incredibly thirsty. Because all the while his desire was to meet her need and to quench his thir her thirst. You see, this woman, she had a lot of I am going on. She was bringing a lot of I am into this conversation with Jesus. Not only did she start off with a, I am a Samaritan and you're a Jew. I'm a woman and you're a man. She was also bringing in all of this things, all of this stuff that's gone on in her past. And the Bible says that she had been divorced five times. In that context, that means she had been rejected by five different men. What I am might you build into your life based on those rejections that she had been through? And now it says that she was living with a sixth man who wasn't her husband, and more than likely what was going on in that time was women really would have battled to meet their own financial needs. It was harder for women to work and to make a living. And so a man came along, and based on his financial position of power, got what he wanted out of her without meeting her need. And so was using her in this exchange. And she had to give up what she didn't want to give because she had a need that she needed to meet, but he had no intention of ever meeting that need. And so she's being used. And if you went through that interaction, if you went through that experience, what I am might you build into your life? What I am might you think about yourself? And we know that this woman was a, a social outcast because it says that it was the middle of the day, it was noontime, and she was coming to draw water. Now, nobody goes and draws water in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. That's the hardest time to go and draw water. What would have happened is in that village, more than likely in the late afternoon, the ladies of the village together would have gone and drawn water together, and they would have sat together and drawn water and chatted and caught up and spoken about their husbands and spoken about their kids and spoken about Oprah's new book and had a nice little hangout together while they did it and then all gone home. But this woman came at a time of day when she knew no one else would be there. She knew that she would be alone because she didn't fit into the societal norm, she was a social outcast. And if you had that experience of every single day having to choose isolation based on what your background says about you, what I am might you believe about yourself? And so this lady brings all of this I am into her relationship and into this conversation with Jesus. And that's why she can't immediately hear what Jesus has for her. And I love what happens next. Because... This is, so, this is how I know that the Bible, no one made this stuff up, because you can't make this stuff up, because it's so honest and so real and so true. Listen to what she says. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I love this, because what she's doing is what so many of us do when God starts to put his finger on something in our lives. She's changing the subject. And so God comes to us and says, hey, what's going on with these relationships that's been going on here? I'm seeing a bit of a pattern. And we go, but God, what about the dinosaurs? Like, what's happening? Like, how does that fit into the situation? 
And God comes to me and says, hey, what about the way that you're thinking about your wife or the way that you're thinking about your relationship with your kids? And I go, God, but there's these pastors and they fly on private jets. Can you explain that one to me? <laughs> because when God puts his finger on something in our lives, it's so natural and easy for us to try to change the subject. And I love Jesus' patience because he just, he humors it. I'll be honest, if it was me and I did that kind of prophetic kung fu thing where I just spoke about everything in your life and someone tried to change the point, I'd be like, lady, are you even paying attention? Like, look at what I just pulled off here. And now you're trying to change the subject. But Jesus, our Jesus, our Savior, is so patient. And if you want to take longer with it, he's got all the time in the world. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus humors her, he answers her, and then this is what the, listen what happens next. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, Ah, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is an extraordinary thing for so many reasons. First of all, this is the first account that we have of Jesus revealing who he truly was to anyone in the Bible. How amazing that the Son of God came to earth to save the world and the first person that he chooses to reveal himself to isn't one of the religious people, one of the Pharisees, one of the synagogue leaders, one of his disciples, one of the hotshot business people. He wasn't concerned about those people. The first person he chose to reveal himself to was this woman in desperate need of him because that's the kind of merciful Savior that we serve. And it's so incredible that this woman started off this conversation so keenly aware of this is what I am, this is what I am, this is what I am. And Jesus speaks these words to her. He says, I, the one you're speaking to, I am he. You see, those two words, I am, have incredible meaning in the Bible. Right throughout the Old Testament, God has chosen to reveal himself as the great I am. He is the I am. And right throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am In seven different ways, he reveals what he is. He says, I am this, I am that, to reveal his divinity. In fact, when he's arguing with the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus is the great I am. And this woman starts this conversation so keenly aware of what I am and all the ways that I cannot have this interaction. And Jesus ends it off with, but you don't understand who I am. See, we can start our relationship with Jesus off the fact of, this is who I know that I am. And based on who I know that I am, I can think of all the reasons that I shouldn't get to have a relationship with God. I can think of all the reasons that I'm disqualified from having a relationship with Jesus. And I can think of all the reasons that I shouldn't have certain kinds of relationships with the people around me based on who I am. But you see, we shouldn't start our relationships based on the fact of who I am. We need to start our relationships based on the great I am and who Jesus is. And that needs to be the lens. That needs to be the context of how we approach every single one of our relationships, not on who I am, because who I am is so inferior, but who he is is more than enough for me. He's everything I need. You see, there is nobody in this world who can be enough for what I am. I cannot have my needs met in any other person. What I am will never be sufficiently met in another human being. There's no one on earth that can meet that need. But if I can take my life and my heart and my attention and shift it onto the great I am, he is more than enough to compensate for everything that I am. 
What he is is more than enough for me, and he will meet every single one of my needs. If I come into a relationship going, Jesus, I'm, I feel like I'm just needy, and he goes, hey, it doesn't matter if you're needy. It doesn't matter if you're hungry, because I'm the bread of life, and if you eat from me, you'll never be hungry again. And I, go, I start my relationship off from the perspective of, I, I got all this darkness in my life and these things that have gone on before me, and Jesus says, hey, but I am the light of the world. Anyone who walks with me will never walk in darkness ever again. I need the great I am to be the perspective for every relationship that I have, not what I am. Because so many of us put limiting beliefs on what's possible in our relationships around us based on what I am, but we've got to stop thinking about what I am, and we've got to know who our God is and who our Savior is. We've got to look through that perspective. What I am have you brought to your relationship with Jesus and with others that disqualifies you from the good things that God has in store for you? You see, life has this way of telling us stories about ourselves. Just like this precious lady had been through these experiences and it told her a story about herself and it made her think of herself in a certain way and that became the perspective of what's possible for her life. And Jesus comes and blows all of that out of the water because he says it's not based on what you are, it's based on what I am. You see, the amazing thing is she starts with going, this is what I am. And all along, Jesus knew every single detail of her life. He knew every single detail. He knew all the reasons that this shouldn't happen. He knew how she should be disqualified from her relationship with God. But he doesn't care about what she is. He cares who he is because who he is is more than enough for what she is. And in the same way in our lives, what God has in store for us in our relationship with him and in our relationship with others, he has so much more in store for us than we realize if we could stop thinking through the perspective of this is what I am and do it through the perspective of who he is because he's the great I am, and he wants to do incredible good things in our lives. I'm going to invite my pastor Ross up to come and pray now. It's just... Should we stand? I, I left uh, home today. I hope my wife's not sneaking around in the back. And uh, I grunted at my wife twice. When you grunt once... You're in trouble when you grunt twice. And uh, I, I was frustrated. Just left something. Just left me frustrated. As I was leaving, I felt like I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, "Can you stop focusing on your needs and focus on me?" And um, for some of us, our needs are so deep that it's incredibly hard to focus on the one who gives living water but he's the only one who can actually meet that need. And um, I want this to be a moment of living water flying. What I've found about Jesus' living water is it comes to desperate people full of faith. And uh, I think as a church, we we could get a little more desperate and a little more expectant. And so what I'm going to pray for people is that you get filled with the Holy Spirit. If you don't know who the Holy Spirit is and you, you kind of get really weirded out by the Holy Spirit, know that Jesus spoke about him again and again and again, and his whole message was, you need the Holy Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit. And so I want to I want to give you a chance to receive. And if, if some people receive the Holy Spirit and they cry, well, if you've been married, you know what that's like, so don't worry about that. If someone laughs, don't worry about that. What you should concern yourself is with the state of your heart and your desperation and your faith. So I'm going to ask that you, 
you lift your hands out if you want to receive this living water that he promises and he says come to me and and ask of me and you'll receive and the prayer you pray in your heart is you go Lord Jesus fill me with your living water that flows out of you because you're the I am of everything and come and fill my heart and I pray Jesus that you begin to fill and you begin to touch people with your living water and you flood through here Oh God, in, in very quiet and gentle ways and very powerful ways, Lord, you begin to fill people with your Holy Spirit. I pray, Jesus, that you come on people who don't even know their desperation. And I pray, God, that you come on people who are so desperate for a touch of you. It takes incredible courage to take your eyes off your desperation and put them on someone else. But I feel like for some people today, God's going, will you ignore your needs and look at me? And Jesus, as people do that, as they go, I'm leave my needs, I'm going to look at you. Jesus, will you begin to touch them and fill them and touch them? Holy Spirit, just come throughout this room. here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask Justy to keep playing and, and he might even sing if his voice box is still there. If you need to stay and just spend time in the Holy Spirit, you just stay. If you need to go, you kind of visiting with us, you want to meet one of the pastors, please go outside and grab yourself a coffee and I'd love to chat to you. If you need prayer, I'd ask that you spend some time with God. And uh, once you've spent a little bit of time in the Holy Spirit, you're welcome to come up to the front and receive prayer from one of our team. But Heavenly Father, I pray right across this room, there's just a sense of your power moving in people's hearts. Great I am.